All right, Kay, I wanted us to have a quick little bonus episode after the episode I had with Zoe Mendelson, the author of Pussypedia, um, to just talk about some stuff. Like juicy stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's so much here. There's so much that we could get into. Like, I'm actually overwhelmed by the options of topics that we could talk about because it's... I, I've mentioned this before. I will say it again. It's witty. It is super informative. Um, there are things that I didn't know um, and things that I'm sure a lot of you wouldn't know until you read this. So I highly recommend it. And I also just wanted to like give a, another shout out to Zoe Mendelson and, and also her collaborator, the illustrator Maria Conejo, who just beautifully illustrated this book. And held nothing back just nothing like both of them were all in for this project as we all should be um i mean i can't i can't wait to have this conversation because i can honestly tell you that from just a nugget from your interview with zoe where you guys talk about how women should not be soaping their slit yeah i was like what the what (laughs) really we're not supposed to what (laughs) yeah I, I'm 35 years old, 36. I have no, I think I'm 36. Yeah. And never have I been told that. Never. Oh, yeah. Every shower since I've been like, hmm. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, watch out. Watch, watch out. <laughs> Zoe, I think about you in my shower. This is what I'm telling you. I mean, that's, yeah, that's great. I think there are a lot of nuggets. I cannot wait to dive in. Yeah. So starting with um, the one that I mentioned already in the episode, but I want to just kind of, I want to excavate it a little bit more because it blew me away so much. Um, she has a whole really interesting chapter about the clitoris and our sordid history in the medical community with people basically saying that it was useless, not knowing that the inside bits and the outside bits are all part of the same thing. Um, and then, and then Grey's Anatomy literally taking- Not the show, mind you, not the show. Not the show. The actual text. (laughs) The foremost medical text of the 20th century- took it out like it was in there it was in there it was defined they took it out um in the 1950s and 1960s i want to know what man was behind that decision like i want to talk to that editor let me tell you great bring it on i'm gonna read this to you in 1905 Sigmund Freud wrote that the clitoris was an infantile organ and that clitoral pleasure was immature, secondary to the pleasure a mature adult pussy should derive from vaginal penetration by a penis. Thus, he ushered in the era of people with pussies trying really hard to have vaginal orgasms and feeling inadequate when they couldn't, which is still happening. Freud further minimized the idea of the clitoris as the seat of pussy pleasure. And then that led to a whole kind of onslaught of attacking our most important sexual organ. It's absolutely shocking that that would be removed, that that organ would be removed from, a, from the foremost medical text. That blows my mind. Not to mention all of the misinformation that you that you just shared right. around, you know, what is normal, how many types of orgasms are there. Yes, let's dispel that right now. Um, there are some women, less than a third, who can achieve orgasm through vaginal penetration. Less than a third. Zoe would be so dismayed that we are not saying people with pussies, so we will try harder. Yes. 
people with pussies, less than a third can achieve orgasm through vaginal penetration. Full stop. Yeah, and also the stigma that people have who cannot achieve, like the vast, vast majority of us who cannot achieve orgasm through strictly vaginal penetration, that for so long there was a feeling of there's something wrong with you or that there's something better with those individuals with pussies who can achieve in that way. Like that's weird dialogue and separation of individuals and what that means for the the cans and the cannots is like a whole weird thing also that we're still struggling with. Um, it puts a lot of of undue pressure and stigma on people who are having sex. It's fascinating. I mean, this makes me, you know, you and I were talking before we hit record of like, okay, at what age should our daughters read this book, right? Because I never had access to any of this information. Like that was not, I mean, I, I went to a Catholic school through high school, right? Like. We had health class, didn't touch any of this, you know. Um, and certainly I wasn't like, had I been asking these questions, somebody would have pointed me towards the answers and the resources, but I didn't even know what questions to ask, right? So like so much of this, even as, you know, a 36 year old sexually active woman, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. Yeah, and so I wanna ask you, what is your relationship with your mother? Great. I could talk to my mother about anything and I talked to my mother about everything. And that's and it was like that growing up. We were never um, shamed for any conversation that we had. There was nothing in our house that felt like it was off limits. And yet, you know, I've I'm one of five girls. I have one brother. So there's six of us in the house. And my sisters and I joke of like, I don't know. Did you ever have the sex talk? Did they ever give you the sex talk? Like, did anybody any did anybody talk to us about it? Nope. Nope, hard no. Like maybe at one point there was a book about periods left on my bed. And if I had questions, I would have felt fine going to my mom. Like I really would have. But I was also like, meh, I guess I don't think I have any questions. Like this is normal. You know, it was that it was that house where like it kind of went unspoken. Yeah. I think the point is that even in a house as like loving and open as yours was, that going unspoken is doing your kids a disservice. A disservice. Huge. Which is a, such a lesson to us that we cannot just take for granted that our kids are going to figure it out on their own. Right. And and it's really hard for me to even imagine this. Um, but we need to like proactively have these conversations. Like at what age do I leave this book on my daughter's Right. right. <laughs> and then read some bedtime chapters together. <laughs> so she talks about our goop, Right the consistency, the color, the smell. She talks about menstruation. She talks about menopause. She talks about the clitoris. She talks about what not to do if you have a UTI and how to know if you do have a UTI. And these are things that we kind of just, as as people with pussies, like we kind of take for granted that we're going to figure out our own bodies and our bodies are so complicated that it is really helpful to have a tool like this. You know what I mean? To have something that we can actually turn to and be like, what, what is normal for me? What is not? What feels right? What doesn't feel right? You know, she has a whole chapter on sex toys. Never used one. 
I will go on record and say I've never used a sex toy. Certainly never walked into a sex toy shop, pleasure, adult pleasure shop. I don't even know what they're called, Sabrina. That's how like out of my realm I would be. Like what would happen if you did? I would not, I would not even know what I was looking for. Like you're telling me you've never used a vibrator? <laughs> really? Never. Nope. Never. I mean, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> and, and Sabrina is speechless, which, ladies and gentlemen, is something I've never seen. No, I don't. I don't know how to respond to that because I th- like how much of that is is your feeling of embarrassment and shame around it? None. Zero. Zilch. That I can say with confidence. So what is it then? Maybe it's just like low libido. Like, I guess I just don't care. Like, and this is this is not to say that I haven't and routinely have wonderful orgasms and know what pleasure feels like and have a very healthy sex life with my husband. This says nothing of any of that. I guess it's just like I, do, I don't need more. I don't I don't know. OK, which leads me to the chapter on masturbation. <laughs> Are you telling me that your sex life with your husband is so fulfilling to you that you never have to, like, take care of yourself? I've never masturbated. What the hell? (laughs) Are we going to air this episode? I don't don't know, honestly. I'm, like, mortified just thinking about my dad listening to this episode. But you are a terrible role model for our audience. No, I'm not. Because there shouldn't be any stigma or shame around any experience on this spectrum or how much pleasure we want to have or how fulfilling that is to us or like, uh uh-uh. No, I'm pushing back on that of like, it should be available to you and you should be educated on it if you want it, if you need to scratch the itch. But also like, cool and good on you if you don't. Okay, fair. But like before you were married, even before you were sexually active, you're telling me that you were never curious about your body. No, I'm telling you, I grew up in a house where five girls who like didn't have curfews, never were shamed for any conversation, never had like a, you know, hard like a sex talk really of any sort. And yet all of us, none of us, I should say, were sexually active in high school. And somehow my parents achieved this like standard of like, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to shame it. And also y'all are making really good choices. That's fascinating. And it's fascinating. And if I could replicate it for my daughter, I would. And I don't know how, because I don't know what they did. And it's a conversation my husband and I have all the time. I'm like, well, how did, what did have? How did that work? Why didn't you? It is the opposite of Zoe's story. Yeah. And what I appreciate about the sex toy chapter is that she goes into a whole like personal anecdote first about acknowledging that she has a a weird relationship with sex toys because of when she was a kid and like found a vibrating dildo in the back of a friend's mom's closet and didn't know what to do with that and then what is the relationship that she carried on for the rest of her life and like maybe sex toys are not always for her or whatever and that's true of some people and yet she also goes on to talk about why she thinks it's really important to have a relationship with sex toys and the your relationship with masturbation. Which makes perfect sense. Like her explanation of that makes perfect sense. I don't disagree with any of it. Except for you. And also I just don't practice it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, again, don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I mean, how old were you when you became curious about your own body and started exploring that? Um, 15? Like, not super young. 
And what was the conversation like in your house? I mean, I know you and your mother are very close and nothing was off the table, but what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I don't I don't particularly remember a sex talk, although I'm sure that it happened and I'm just not remembering it. But like Honestly, the fact that it wasn't this like big, glaring, traumatic memory that I carry with me, I think is a really good thing. Yeah. Props to your mother for executing it well. Totally. I'm hoping that it was like so normal, that it was so casual that I had that conversation with her and I felt okay with it. And I just kind of like got filed away as just another thing. Right. And I don't know that I necessarily like went to her and said, hey, I'm curious about my body, like, tell me what to do. But I never felt like I needed to hide that necessarily, you know? Amazing. I mean, like, that sounds like a really great, healthy place to be. What are the other kind of jaw-dropping nuggets of the book. I mean, I think, you know, the the clitoris is one of them, the types of orgasms, masturbation. I mean, what are the other moments that you were like, what? What the what? Like, where where did your jaw drop? I don't know that I would say necessarily a jaw dropping moment, but something worth talking about is the fact she, so there's a, a whole chapter on consent also, which is obviously so important and something that we're going to be talking with a future guest about pr- shortly. Um, And the fact that in doing research, there is not one kind of universal definition of consent as it relates to sex. She says, you know, depending on who you ask, depending on what state you're in, legally, the definition is different, which to me, like, makes this such a convoluted issue that is so gray and it shouldn't be gray. Right. Well, and especially as as women who are raising kids, it makes me wonder, like, well, how, well what, what do I need to be telling them and what clear lines do I want to make sure they really understand? Um, honestly, it feels it feels more important in the conversations with my son than it does with my daughter of like, what does that look like and what do you need to know and what do you need to listen for? And um so it's, it's interesting to hear you say that there is a lot of ambiguity around that topic. Yeah. And, and that unfortunately that persists among young people, right, who have not had that, maybe that overt conversation with, um, with parental figures or with people that they trust that think about what that looks like on college campuses. Like rape culture on college campuses, it's alive and well. It is rampant. And part of the, the part of the thing that I wonder is, is it because we're waiting too long to have those conversations? Is it because people are growing up in households where they never have that conversation? Is it because they're seeing role models that maybe are, I don't know, sending them the wrong signals, you know? Where does that come from and how to avoid that? Well, and it it makes you wonder where in education curriculum, and I'm sure an expert here could answer this, is like where, at what year in schooling do we need to be, you know, obligating curriculum to cover this? And why isn't it standardized? Like, why aren't we treating this with as much, you know, I even look back to like anatomy class in college, right? I probably first like 
I would say like freshman year biology in high school, you know, is maybe where some of this first started to come up. Um, but then I look at like anatomy class as a junior in college where we were dissecting cadavers. And I still can't tell you um, that we covered reproductive health any more uh, holistically than like vagina, uterus, ovaries. Right. Wait, you you dissected a cadaver? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I wish that every student got that experience, regardless of what track you were on or degree you were pursuing. It's amazing. Like, just the acknowledgement, going back to the clitoris for a second, that we've been dissecting cadavers for, you know, hundreds of years, maybe millennia, and still the medical community did not know that the outside part and the inside part of the clitoris are the same organ. Shocking. Shocking. It's also shocking, like, why in that class where we were literally just understanding all of the parts of a body, why was there never a thorough examination of a female pubic area? Yeah. Like, why Why was that not covered? Well, listen, we're, we're also facing a time in which is shocking to say, facing a time in our academic system where people are trying to ban books about our history, right? About slavery, about the Holocaust. And so can you imagine if kids went home and started telling their parents, I got to dissect a vulva? Like parents probably would flip, which is saying something about our society, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's also like I when you talk about like parents flipping. So we, I have I have two sons and a daughter. They're all under the age of five still. They all take baths together. Like from a very young age, we've been like, the boys have a penis, the girl has a vagina. Like right. that's how we have like, and they're comfortable with it, and they'll like all acknowledge it, and like it's a non-issue, right? But I'm like, oh wait a minute, should I really be saying like, my daughter has a pussy, my daughter has a vulva? <laughs> Like, it's weird even that, like, those are the two distinguishing factors is, like, penis and vagina. Yes. And this goes right back to Zoe's conversation of, like, this should, those are not the opposites. Yeah. And if from, from the age of one, you know, whenever they start actually, like, hearing me use this vocabulary, that becomes normalized. What is my role as a mother there? What do I need to change? But I can't imagine my daughter walking around and saying, I have a pussy. No, I know. And, and what about... What about when is the when is the kind of tipping point where parents decide that they don't feel comfortable being naked in front of their kids anymore? No, oh, we have that conversation a lot of when is that where is that line? Yeah. I have no idea. That's when we start to put a feeling of shame and stigma on our kids, right? Mhm. And there is a feeling of at some point it's not appropriate anymore and then and yet when that point does come how do I make sure that I'm not telling my kids the message of being naked? There's something wrong with being naked. Or if you're a girl, you can only see girls naked. Or if you're a boy, you can only see boys naked. You know what I mean? Like that whole thing is a, a I, I struggle with that. I really struggle with it. And also I feel a tremendous responsibility as a mother. I like I can just see the impact that these conversations at age, you know, one, two, three, four, five have on what is normal for my children going forward yeah and what feels normal and acceptable and appropriate and i do not know the answers and i'm making it up every single day and that doesn't feel great either it's complicated it's a lot it's really complicated so there are 
There are things in here about STIs, about how to handle having sex if you have an STI that doesn't necessarily get treated by medication, even sex with disabilities. There's, it's just a wealth of information. I have to be honest, there were some shocking revelations in this conversation between us. Yeah. Just went to a whole new level, Sabrina. I know. Which just goes to show that we are all such different creatures and our our needs and our desires are different. And as long as we are comfortable in our bodies and are, you know, as long as we are accessing the pleasure that makes us happy in a safe and responsible way, then like that's that's what matters, right? Absolutely. And also like, I mean, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse sometimes. I like talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Like normalize these conversations. Let none of it be shocking. You know, let none of it feel, um, you know, clouded in secrecy. Like I need to carry that and I'm not normal because I don't feel that way. Bullshit. Like I have zero interest in feeling any sort of shame around how much pleasure I do or do not want. There you go. Um, and I and I don't want it for my daughter either, right? I want, like, let's just keep having these conversations. You heard it here. Go, go out, find, find your pleasure, do it in a safe and responsible way, empower yourself to know exactly what is right for your body, what feels good. Um, make sure that you're not letting anybody take advantage of you. Make sure you're not any, letting any, anybody... Um, trample on your spirit and advocate for yourself advocate for yourself whether it's through sex or through things that are going on with your body that you need to get checked out make sure that you're taking care of yourself and your needs always first and foremost you're here Like what you're hearing on Breaking Glass? Do us a favor and share this episode far and wide. Leave a review for the show wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to sign up for our newsletter. We promise to round up the very best resources on issues affecting women around the world so that we can all be just a little bit more educated and a whole hell of a lot more empathetic toward one another. It's also worth mentioning that Breaking Glass is a production of Evoke Media. Evoke is a nonprofit organization that exists in order to elevate the people and stories that are working to make the world a more unified and equitable place. Learn more at weareevokemedia.com.